It's fantastic this evening. We have uh, Ben and Billy Lindsay with us. 14 years ago, I arrived at King's, and uh, Ben and Li- you were both here, weren't you, 14 years ago? Is that right? Yeah. And you got married 12 years ago. And then about eight years ago, Ben and Billy moved to what was the church plant in Greenwich at a time, and uh, it's been fantastic to watch Ben's kind of growth and development. I've seen more of Ben than I have of Billy, but uh, Ben's involvement, involvement in uh, working with youth and gangs work, and uh, just become an elder at the Greenwich Church, and so we're delighted to welcome you. Should we give Ben a big 5.30 welcome as he comes to speak this evening? Hello, can you hear me? It's all good. Um, it's amazing to be here, it's an amazing privilege to be here. Um, as Simon said, uh, myself and Billy have got a lot of history here, uh, saved in this church, um, baptized here, um, married here, it's, uh, yeah, there's a, it's a lot of history and uh, yeah, we are just always very grateful for the leadership and the friendship that we've still got here, so um, thank you. Uh, I just need to apologise, uh, first of all, for the promo picture you might have seen with me with hair. Um, so if people are expecting some guy, some black dude with a big afro, I apologise, but... Um, my wife would say that any guy who spends more time on their hair than their, than their wife, there's an issue. So the, the hair had to go. It had, yeah, it had, it had to go. Um, yeah, basically, I just want to just see what God wants to do today. I've got something planned, but you never know what God may or may not do. Let's, uh, let's just talk about questions. Before, uh, the week before Christmas and the week kind of after Christmas, Google they did this kind of study to look at the most popular questions which people were typing in. Um, and they released like a top 10. I won't go through all of them, but they were, they were quite interesting. Uh, at number 10 was uh, how to crochet a beanie. That was the top 10. Now, I'm thinking it's because of the, the renaissance and the revival of Craig David. And, you know, if anybody remembers that album where he had like the beanie and the, and the headphones... Maybe, or maybe people just want a hobby. I don't know. But that was number 10. Um, uh, number seven was how to write a letter of recommendation. So therefore, you know, people obviously thinking about their future around Christmas and coming up to New Year's. Funny enough, at number four, it was how to write a resignation letter. So, you know, take that as you want to. You know, who knows what people are thinking. Um, at number three was how much water should I drink to lose weight? And... Anyone can guess what the number one question was? It was actually how to get rid of stress. How to get rid of stress. That was the number one question people were typing in uh, the week before Christmas and the week after Christmas, which if you're in my family, you can understand why you'd put that in. But anyway, it's another story. Um, What I want to look at is from a well-known scripture, Luke 10, uh, and this is the the Good Samaritan, and and it starts off like this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, him being Jesus, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is a question. It's not a question, how do I crochet a beanie? Um, It's not a question about how do I lose more weight? But it's a question. And the funny thing about those questions, which I said from Google, they can kind of be grouped in, um, how do I stay young? How do I stay more beautiful? Um, How do I get gratification from where I'm at? 
Um, how do I get long-term satisfaction? Those, how those, they can be groups a bit like that. Um, I suppose what the lawyer is saying to Jesus is kind of like a, a, an overview of that, where it says, how do I inherit eternal life? There's a question there. He is thinking about satisfaction. He's thinking about long-term things. He's thinking, well, how do I get the best out of my life? If maybe some of you guys have asked that question. Maybe you've come here tonight and you're asking that question. What is the meaning of eternal life? How do I inherit it? It's a good question. I want to continue reading it. Hopefully it'll come up there. From verse 26, it says this. He said to him, this is Jesus, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. He stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two danari and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. I love this story. It's one of my favorites in the Bible and the New Testament. Um, And I like it because there's so many different characters. I think, you know, Jesus is a master storyteller. But here there's a lot of different characters. For some of us, as I said before, you might feel like the lawyer. You've come with questions and you want answers. And that's totally fine. For others, you might actually feel you're more like the half-dead man. You might feel like there's no hope in your life. That you're desperate. That was my story when I came to King's back in 2000. Um, October 2000 was the first time I stepped into, into King's. And I got to the point in my life where I was the half-dead man. My testimony is, is this. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I, I had a loving family. But my parents divorced when I was seven. And that kind of put me on a path which uh, some good came out of it, but mostly confusion as a, as a young black man growing up in southeast London. Um, my, my mum almost lost her house, uh, our house. Uh, she, we couldn't afford to pay the mortgage, and thought, thankfully, through godly people and good family and the power of God, we managed to get through that. Uh, and I was going to a private school, and because we couldn't afford it, I came out of a private school at age seven and went into a normal comp 
primary school. My dad came back into my life when I was about nine, and you know, he, he tried to show me love in the only way he could by giving me money. So I don't know what the average pocket money is for a nine-year-old. Um, our, our son is three years old, so I haven't yet got to that point where I need to bribe him with pocket money to do stuff. But, you know, take inflation, this is back in the 80s, so, you know, maybe the average was like 50p or something like that you'd get as pocket money. My dad, week in, week out, would give me £20. Yeah. Which, yeah. There's only so many panini stickers and sweeties a nine-year-old can, can, can absorb, you know. But that's my life, that's my story, and basically messed me up a little bit. I had no value from, of money. I had no value of what, what it meant, and there was consumerism in my heart and materialism, and that started from there. I get into secondary school now, and my dad is now running his own clothes business, and uh, my dad, again, trying to show me love, um, would just give me whatever I wanted. And it was quite high, it was high fashion, it was you know, various labels, and instead of saying, why don't you work for it, he would just give it to me. That, again, messed me up a little bit growing into, into my teenage years. I then get to uh, university, and in my, in my school years, I got into music, I got into DJing, I worked out very quickly that if you play music in a public place, uh, people actually want to spend money and see you play your own music. It's weird, but it happens, and people did that, so I started promoting a bit and DJing and stuff, and it was, it was great. I learned that if you had money in your pocket, you look good, girls liked you. So that was what I played on. I played on that for a long time. But then the more I played on that and the more I, that kind of just increased, it just messed my heart up even more. By the time I get to university now, it's, on. it's game on. More, well, not so much more money, but definitely more raving, more DJing, and more girls. And it wasn't good. I don't stand up here boasting. It was not a good thing. My heart was messed up, and I was becoming that half-dead man. Then 1999, three things happened, which kind of uh, changed my thinking. The first thing is that my grandma died. She was the foundation of the family, a godly Christian woman, and she passed. And it's the first person who died in my, in my life. I didn't know what was going on. Secondly, my dad lost his business. So all my materialism and consumerism, everything I based my life on, basically crumbled. The third thing, I came out of university, and I'm not sure if anyone can relate to this, but I came out of uni, and I'm expecting, I'm an educated man, so I should be able to get a job. <laughs> Wrong. Our survey says, uh-uh, that's not what happened. So I came out, and um, my mum still got this folder of the, the jobs I applied for in that summer. It was, it was like this, <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was bad. And I remember having a conversation with my mum, my mum was like, okay, well, you, you, you need to go down to the job centre and sign on. I'm like, sign on? Mwah? Are you mad? I'm an educated man. She's like, I don't care whether you're educated or not. Go and sign on. It's free money. So I've gone down to Woolwich, and at this point, yeah, Woolwich. <laughs> I can say that, we're in Lewisham Bar, Woolwich. Um, and I've gone down to that job, uh, that, that job centre to get my money, and I'm surrounded by... Lots of different people I'd never really kind of seen before. And at that point, I, was, I just realized that where is my life going? And I was depressed. My drinking increased. Uh, my womanizing increased. 
And um, it wasn't until January the 7th, 2000, where I was in a bar in Ladywell. Let's see who's old school. Does anybody remember the, the bar Zaba in Ladywell? A couple of mans are like, yeah, I know, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> yeah, it was a bar called Zaba in Ladywell. And um, I'm in there, and I tried to chat up a girl, and it failed at first. And then I tried again, and then she started speaking to me. Um, this woman being my now wife. And within about maybe three questions, she said to me, do I believe in God? I mean, come on, what type of chat line did, did I bring to the table for her to then say, do you believe in God? Um, but that's what happened. And I was like, wow, okay. And I was like, of course I believe in God. I'm a black man from South East London. He, he, you know, he doesn't. But she was, she was kind of like, well, I, I don't. Um, well, I do. I'm beginning to work this out, but... I don't really know, I'm, I'm exploring this type of stuff. And that just built, we just started a, a relationship based on exploring who God was. That led us to Kings here. We, we did an Alpha course here. Uh, Annie was one of the leaders there and um, it was amazing. And uh, at that point I realized um, everything which I learned when I was younger started to make sense. And I realized that you could have a relationship with Jesus, a real relationship with Jesus. And it was so good. And there was more to come. And, 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 and as a result, me and Billy then got baptized here, May the 21st, 2001. I'm standing up here, saying my testimony to a full room. This is a bit weird for me, but it was, it was there. And uh, September 2003, we got married here. God started doing some stuff in me, which was just incredible. I never thought I'd get married, not after the experience of, of my parents. Never thought I was ever going to get married. But yet God was able to redeem that. That's my testimony. The reason I say that... Him. And we praise God for that. The reason I say that is because it took me to realize I was half dead before any of that could happen. Are you like the half dead man today? See, I think we can all identify with the feeling of being stuck. Um, and the truth is that we are built for relationship and not isolation. And Jesus, he loves to tell stories like this with like multiple layers. He's a, he's a master storyteller. And this story kind of seems to be telling us what we, we should be doing and how we should behave. But it doesn't really stop there. It points to what God has already done. He, he saved us when we didn't deserve it. That's what we see in this story. There is a guy dying in the street, and this other guy comes and saves him. And it contains amazing, wonderful teaching. Jesus is the one who steps in and shows us love. And if you are Christians here, if you are Christian here today, you would have been a half-dead person. You would have been a half-dead man at some point in your life. We all needed rescuing by somebody greater than ourselves. Jesus being the great Samaritan. The problem is, is that what I was doing and what many of us do is actually go to things which are broken to try and fix us. We go to the temporary things in this world which can't truly fix us. That's what I was doing. Broken things can't fix broken people. But we don't seem to learn that. It's only until we go to the complete one, the whole one, that he truly fixes us. For me, I tried it all and... What, the things I was trying was temporary and short-lived. 
But what Jesus offered me was something eternal and everlasting. His love, his forgiveness, and it's so good. And today you can have the same. Um, you've got to understand that what he's offering is, is free. It's free, but not cheap. You know, we've got to understand it cost him everything. Cost him everything. It's free, but it's not cheap. You can have the same thing today. It's a bit like um, I like music, and, and therefore uh, sometimes I find myself downloading music legally, uh, just to throw it in there. Um, but you sometimes you get these free downloads, and I get this happened to me the other day. It's a free download. I'm like, okay, great. And then you find out that free downloads are never really free because by the time you start downloading it, it's then asking for your email address. You're like, oh, fine, you've got my email address. And then it's saying, oh, can you just fill out this survey? You're like, okay, fine. And then before you know it, 45 minutes in, you still haven't got what you, what you wanted in the first place. Jesus is like the opposite of this. Um, what you get is actually really good for you and it just gets better and better and better. It's unbelievable. You, you accept an into your life, you ask for forgiveness and you repent and he just keeps giving you more and more and more. The best way I can describe this is, is Galatians 5. Uh, and it will come up on the screen. But this is basically, I, when you read this, this, it was me. I come to the party with absolutely nothing. I bring nothing to the table. Um, I've got nothing to contribute. Yet, as we read this, we can see how good Jesus is. It says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This was me. This is what I brought to the table. And if anybody knows my heart, God knows my heart. Unfortunately, even as a Christian, there is things in my heart that gravitate to this. I bring nothing to the table. Yet me being a son of the Most High means I get the next bit in abundance. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. It's like... I am just, I bring 1% to the table and Jesus brings 99. And it just keeps coming and coming and his love is so good and so rich and so deep and so high and so wide. I honestly can't believe why anybody would turn this down. Because you bring nothing to the table and you get everything. It's so beautiful. And um, I've seen this in my own life where even me standing up here preaching to you guys is... Is, is odd. When I first came to this church, uh, I used to go to the back, and um, any any time I did do any public speaking, my wife would always moan at me and say, "You mumble too much. You mumble too much. No one can hear what you're saying." Well, you, she's she's like a critical friend. It's good. Um, she loves me. It's a critical friend, and so I was really. It, I found public speaking really hard, but God did something in me. Honestly, for me to be up here, it's God. Um, also, uh, I was really quite a selfish person. And the moment I became a Christian, God did something in my heart about young people. Like my heart broke for young people, especially in this borough. And um, I found myself working, whether it was in, in schools or youth offending service for, 
with, with young people in this. Bro, that was God. I would not have cared about young people. But God did something for me. The challenge is, are we allowing Jesus to rescue us? Like the Samaritan rescued and restored the half-dead man. Are we allowing Jesus to transform us? Are we prepared to let Jesus make a better version of yourself? See, honestly, I thought I was all right, actually. But 15 years into this gig, into this game, being a Christian, I know that God has done something pretty amazing. David Bowie, he passed away recently. Um, My dad is always into music, so I kind of grew up and listened to a little bit of David Bowie. Um, If some of you are like, really? Check out the um, Young Americans album. It's um, 1975. Really soulful. It will surprise you. Good album. But he said this. um, As you get older, the questions come down to about two or three. How long and what do I do with the time I've got left? I actually think that is pretty much what the lawyer was saying when he was asking, how do I inherit eternal life? And that's the question that I came to when I came here back in October. Are you the half-dead man? But there's other characters in this story. Are you the Levite and the priest? And primarily I'm speaking to Christians here. See, the Good Samaritan reminds the church to always examine its religious and social prejudices. And the twist in the tale is that the leaders, when the leaders let them down, so when you've got the Levite and the priest who ignore the person dying, it was the outcast who knows nothing of God's temple who comes in and shows this guy love. See, the Levite and the priest should have stepped in. Because the guy who was on the floor was a fellow Jew. On top of that, uh, the Levite and the priest, part of their religious duties was like public health care. So to see somebody dying on the floor and then to walk past is ridiculous. They might have been scared, they might have been afraid, they might have been busy. But ultimately they still walk past. As Christians, do we sometimes operate like the Levite and the priest? Do we sometimes ignore the societal issues which are around us? because of busyness or because of fear. As Christian leaders, and this is something I know I need to battle with in my church, is are we more interested in church numbers than going after the fatherless, the widow, or the immigrant? We're ultimately called to imitate Jesus. One of my favorite verses is Philippians 2, um, 3 to 8. If you really want to know how to love, I entitled this talk, How to really love, it's like, it's this. It says this, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You see, the Samaritan came with like this full-blooded, relentless, uncompromising compassion for the guy on the road. He offered friendship, advocacy, emergency medical treatment, transportation, a hefty financial subsidy, even a follow-up visit. He met his material, physical, emotional needs. And it shouldn't have been like that because Jews and 
Samaritans hated each other. There was like this racial tension. It's almost like I'm dying on the street and somebody from the English Defence League looks at me and says, I'm going to help you out. That's how radical it was. Yet this is what we see. Church, I really think we need to step up. And when, this is not me criticising your church. I say church with a big C. Because <laughs> I know you guys do some amazing work. What Simon does here as a Jericho Road project is incredible. And it should be a blueprint for other churches. But I think we can still do more. We are called to be a lamp on a hill, a beacon, a light in a dark place. Are we aware of the issues that our neighbours are going through? Who are we really fighting justice for? And I know this is hard. This is really hard. Um, the lines are, are blurring. So I grew up in South East London, like maybe many of you here. I grew up in South East London. I've grown up here all my life. Things are changing in South London. Things are changing. It's, it used to be quite easy for me to know who was poor and who was rich. It, 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 was, it, it, was, a bit, it was obvious for me. Um, but things are kind of changing now. Uh, people who are using food banks are people who, who, who've got good homes and, and still work. But somehow the money doesn't quite match up. There's community fractions. So <clears throat> where we, we, we used to live in Broccoli, it just moved, but we were there for five years and we started seeing all these cafes pop up. You know the type of cafes where it's like £3.20 for a latte. <laughs> £3.20. Get a Happy Meal for that, you know. Um, or maybe £4 for a carrot cake. And I love carrot cake, man. I do love carrot cake, but I refuse to pay £4. I'm not paying £4 for that. But this is what we're seeing. And interestingly, I'm not against new businesses coming in because I actually know some of the people owning these businesses, and they're lovely people. But if you've got that happening on one end of the spectrum, and then you've got long-term residents feeling like, I can't even go into these shops. I don't feel comfortable. Um, I can't even afford to step in there. Tension starts happening. And, you know, we can call it gentrification of whatever we, we like, but actually knowing who is rich, who's poor, and who to connect with, I think it's becoming more and more difficult. The amazing thing about this story is that uh, it teaches us that we shouldn't just naturally gravitate the, to the people who are like us. Because the Jew or the Samaritan went to the Jewish guy and there was, it was almost like, you're nothing like me. He was indiscriminate. Jesus refuses in this story to let us limit not only how we live, but who we love. See, anyone can be kind to someone who is, who's like them. What, what, what Jesus is saying is like, well, how about trying to be kind to someone who's not like you? And if we're honest, loving our neighbor, it doesn't come easy. Doesn't come easy. C.S. Lewis, <clears throat> who wrote Chronicles of Narnia, he said this on the subject. <clears throat> the quote won't come up. I really want you just to listen to this. The rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, 
you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. But whenever we do good to another self, just because it is a self made like us by God and desiring its own happiness as we desire ours, we shall have learned to love it a little more or at least to dislike it less. It's an amazing quote. It's an amazing quote. That's how we are to love. It's almost like what Nike said, just do it. Don't overcomplicate it. Just do it. You see, (laughs) honestly, I don't like everything I do. I don't like everything I do. If you had a, you know, a camera in my life for, for even half an hour and, and you could see into my heart, you'd be like, Bleh. <laughs> what's this guy like? But just because I don't like everything I do, it doesn't mean I don't look after myself. I try to work out a little bit. I'm banging out 20K a week. You know? My wife is trying to teach me to eat better. Um... I'm nowhere near the, how materialistic as I used to be, but I still like to dress a certain way. I like to look after myself. And I will do that even though I know my heart is wicked. So why can't we do that to other people? Then? We should be able to do that to other people, knowing whether whatever is going on with them. Let's not overcomplicate it. There's a corporate response here as well. And, I, and what I want to break this down is into like three R's. The church should be at the forefront of the three R's, which is relocation, reconciliation, and redistribution. And why should we be doing these things? It's because Jesus did these things. So let's take relocation, for example. Jesus was in heaven. And he relocated from heaven to earth. He was being worshipped angels. He was in the heavenly. But he came down for us to save us and he was crucified in the most horrific way. He relocated. Are we called to do the same? Reconciliation, as I said, you've got this gentrification thing where you've got people, there's tension in our community. Jesus reconciled us to the Father. Well, what Jesus did on the cross meant that we had access to the Father. There's there's reconciliation between us and our Father in heaven now because of what Jesus did on the cross and in the power of his resurrection. Can we reconcile? Can we help reconcile stuff which is going on in our communities? And in redistribution, I haven't got time to go into this, but just read Ephesians 1 in your own time and you will see how much of Jesus' power (laughs) has been redistributed to us and the inheritance that we've been promised. Do we need to start redistributing some of our wealth and some of our time? One of my favorite quotes is from a guy called John Piper. And he says this, So this is really clear. Jesus is high, his rank is high, his standing is high, and therefore, by ordinary standards of this world, he should be served. But instead, he contradicts the ordinary standards of this world and serves. From his height, he goes low. From his high standing, 
he goes to lowly serving. Jesus got low. He came and he got low. We're called to do the same thing. How how did that play out in my life? It meant that I left a job in the city and I became a learning mentor at Hazel Time Primary School in Lower Sydney, where I worked with some young people um, and families and teachers who had a lot of issues. How else did I get low? It meant that when I first became a Christian and I was still working in the city, afterwards I would then go to some of the most hardcore youth centres around London and just offer whatever limited skills I had, which would namely be music. I'd teach kids how to DJ and MC and I set up a record label and I got presented with machetes and stuff like that. But I got low. For some people, getting low might be just talking to your neighbour. For others, it might be connecting them with the homeless or elderly or the most vulnerable. But we are called to get low. How are you going to do the three R's? Isaiah 1, 16 to 17 says this. Wash yourselves, make yourself clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. How to really love? Look in the mirror. First of all, look in the mirror and say, God, I'm sorry for not imitating you. (laughs) Ask for forgiveness and then imitate him. If we really want to see our neighborhoods changed, if we really want to see people saved and added to the kingdom, heaven invading earth, and it starts with us. It really does start with us. How to really love? You are to imitate Jesus. I'm going to finish there. And I really want to just challenge you guys. I just want everyone to close their eyes. Because I really do believe there's two types of people here. There are people here who feel half dead. There are people here who, as I was speaking, feel stuck. And feel like, actually... I've tried everything my way, and now I need rescuing, I need saving. And they've got to the point where it's like, actually, Jesus, I know you're the only way. So there's, there's that group of people. But there's also a group of people here who feel like the Levite and the priest as well, who you know that actually there's situations and stuff around you where you're ignoring. And you, and you know you can actually step in and help. And imitate Jesus and do the three R's I mentioned. But for whatever reason, you've been busy or you've been fearful. I believe there's those two types of people. And what I want to just do while people's eyes are closed, if you feel you fall into one of those camps where you feel like you're half dead and you want Jesus to come in and rescue you, and I think that can be a Christian as well because sometimes we, we move away from that. Or if you feel like actually I'm more like the Levite and the priest, I just want you to stand. And all I want to do is just pray. So if you feel, feel like you're in one of those two categories, I know it's, your eyes are closed, no one can see. I just really want to just, just pray for you. Because there's a moment here where we can actually repent. We can repent. And repentance means more than just saying sorry. It means turning a new, into like a new and better direction. Lord, I want to thank you that you came to rescue us. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, that as Christians, 
we can say we were once half dead and far away from you. But you came with this, this amazing game plan. And you, you came in and you saved us. And we want to thank you for that, Heavenly Father. I want to pray for those who feel right now that you've been far away from God and you've tried to do everything your own way. I say, Lord, please come in and rescue them. Give them new life. And Lord, I want to pray for those who feel like they, they're like the Levite and the priest, that actually they've, they've ignored the societal issues and they know they can do more. They know they need to open their eyes. I pray that you bless them right now, Lord. Forgive us when we do not stand up for justice. We say, Heavenly Father, come in power now and give us your spirit and give us your direction. In your mighty name, amen.